relationship comes is, is a two-way street and comes with respect and honor. And so when we come alongside somebody there, um, I have to respect them and see them as an equal, not as somebody that needs a handout. Um, I'm not there to, to rescue. I'm not there to lift them up out of the miry clay. Um, I'm there to, to sit next to them, to get to know who they are, what makes them tick, and, um, and encourage them and walk alongside them. Um, not, not there as the Savior. That's not my role. Water connects every aspect of life. Access to safe water and sanitation can quickly turn problems into potential, empowering people with time for school, for work, and contributing to improve health for women, children, and families around the world. Today, 844 million people, that's one in nine, lack access to safe drinking water. 2.3 billion people, one in three, lack access to a toilet. With a total population of 31 million Peruvians, 3 million lack access to safe water and 5 million lack access to improve sanitation. Today, we're going to take you to Peru and learn about the work of the Liquid Legacy Piet Stridham directs this work from his home right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Piet has been a longtime friend of mine. He's actually been on this show under a, a different title. He's a dear brother. And Piet, thank you for stopping by on Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for having me. We kind of ran into each other at one of our favorite hangouts, yeah. which is a, a nice coffee shop in town. Yeah, it's one of my favorite spots. I, you know, <laughs> I'm a little biased about it. Yeah. But, yeah. I'll tell you what, it's nothing like uh, stopping by the hub. We'll go ahead and give a plug to the hub. Absolutely. So I know that through church you have taken mm-hmm. trips to Peru, and so I'm looking forward to kind of learning more yeah. because I didn't realize that you have a new work now called The Liquid Legacy. What does this mean for you? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the last uh, four or five years I've been going down to Peru with the church uh, as a missions pastor, leading several trips, sending folks down there, uh, doing everything, various ministries, but also we kind of got caught up in, in the the water issue there. It's an issue across the world, but especially in Peru, we found that there was no nobody really addressing the issue of the lack of clean, safe drinking water. And so we installed our, our first system through the church about uh, four and a half years ago. And uh, I think the the church is up to seven systems out there right now. Uh, and then last year, uh, towards the end of last year, we uh, would launch the Liquid Legacy as kind of a standalone uh, nonprofit. And the idea with it being that, uh, and I, I'll tell you a little bit more in, in a bit about the history of Memphis and uh, the connection with Pucallpa, Peru. There's a there's a long, rich history there. Yeah. But we launched the Liquid Legacy, um, basically bringing a, a lot of different visions, a lot of different work that's been going on kind of together under one roof, as well as the ability to um, to go beyond the walls of the church and basically provide an avenue for uh, everything from individuals to corporations to groups to ministries to different churches to be able to partake in the work down there and be able to make a difference down there. I like what you say, especially when you talk about networking various groups that are doing good things, you know, for the kingdom and helping people in vulnerable situations when you look at uh, lack of medical conditions and safe drinking water. And sometimes, you know, it's like a colony of ants, you know, they're working together, they're getting things done. And it's neat to see when you can network, you know, people like-minded together, what can be accomplished. The name, the Liquid Legacy, I've got to ask you about that because it really stands out. Tell me about that. That was the toughest thing about this whole thing is what do you name a new ministry? We landed on the Liquid Legacy and it's kind of a play on words a little bit. Um, Liquid, obviously referring to the water, the legacy that we can leave by changing these lives. The legacy side, we play both sides. It changes my legacy when I go down there. It changes who I am. It changes how I view the world. 
And therefore, when I come back and, and come back to my life in Memphis, um, hopefully my life looks different. Hopefully my actions are a little different. And through that, I leave a bit of a different legacy. But the flip side of the legacy is on that side, uh, when you can touch a life, when you can change a life on that side, uh, when you find a young person that you can invest in and resource, you change their life and their legacy as well. And so liquid legacy refers to the water, refers to the change of life both here and, and in South America. But then, you know, we also play a little bit on the uh, liquid assets that people can use to, uh, to bring that change about. I really like that, Piet. Part of your goal is to help Peruvians to rise up and take on leadership mm-hmm. roles within their families, villages, workplaces. You say turning the obstacles they face into opportunities. Let's talk about some of those obstacles they face that quality mm-hmm. drinking water is really a, a result of some of those. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the big thing with, with not having uh, access to clean, safe drinking water is uh, there's a, a growth stunting that happens. Uh, when you have, because the reality is when you drink bad water, when you drink contaminated water, uh, the big thing that it, that it has in it is, is parasites. Uh, and so when you ingest that water, you drink it, you brush your teeth with it, you cook with it, whatever you do, uh, you, you take that parasites in. And those parasites, what they, the first thing that they live off of is the nutrients that you, uh, that you take in. So it doesn't really matter what you eat. It doesn't matter how many vitamins you take. When, you're, um, when you have parasites inside your body... Uh, they will be the first ones to feed, not your body. And so it, it stunts your growth, it stunts your, your uh, brain development, those kind of things. Uh, and so it affects the whole family that way. So when you have generations that have been stunted in their growth because of parasites, uh, they have a lot of obstacles to overcome. But we've seen there how uh, a little bit of change in giving them access to clean water, giving them access to sanitation, uh, bringing the education that comes with that, uh, we take so much of the education for granted here, that changes their lives. It changes the lives of the adults. It changes the lives of the kids. And it gives the kids the opportunity to finish school. It gives them the opportunity to, to go into the workforce to be difference makers. Well, talked about taking things for granted. You know, we live mm-hmm. here. The very first artesian well in Memphis was drilled back in 1887. Dr. Jerry L. Anderson, who's the director of the Groundwater Institute at the University of Memphis, is also a nationally known expert in the field, said Memphis has the sweetest, most wonderful tasting water in the world. He said in part because of the presence of so few minerals, just little treatment is needed mm-hmm. to be able to make it taste so good. And we benefit from that. Now, I know originally Absolutely. you're from South Africa, yeah. so I don't know what drinking water is like there. If you have similar water that we have, mm-hmm. but, I mean, we take it for granted, don't we? And we just turn our faucet yeah. on. And uh, we leave it running. Yeah, and just leave <laughs> it running, you know. I mean, yeah. Water our yards and all that we do. I mentioned to you before we started the show, I traveled to Israel twice last year and learned about the conditions there, you know, and how they resource water and do so much to preserve water. So many places. I mean, we, we talked about that number. 844 million people, one in nine, lack access to safe drinking water. Yeah. And lack access is, is a broad term um, because in, in, in these statistics, the way that access is defined basically is um, can you get to clean water? Not is it in the faucet that you turn open in your house. Um, is can you get to clean water? So access could be uh, a twelve mile walk. Uh, access could be you know a half a day's worth of labor in order to get that clean water, that safe water. It's not necessarily access in the way that we understand it in America. Two in some cultures, that responsibility falls upon women, and, women and, and kids, and, and kids to yeah. go and do that. You yeah. know. 
when, as you said, it could take all day just to yeah. bring a bucket of water back to their families. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, in, in the uh, where we work, most of our work so far has been in the uh, Amazon jungle regions of Peru. Uh, water is not scarce. There's uh, you're in the Amazon rainforest. There's water everywhere. Uh, 99.9% of the water in the rainforest is contaminated, though. Um, and it, a lot of that has to do with education and um, a lack of understanding of, of health and hygiene and how that works. Uh, and so for those folks, you know, they, they might live right next to water source, and their clean water, their safe water, is a three-mile walk. Well, if you have to walk three miles to get a bucket of clean water or you can just scoop it out of the river right next to you um, – it takes a lot of education and cultural change to make that three-mile walk every day. Yeah, my goodness. Much of the way you operate is done in and through the local church. Mm-hmm. How have you initiated contact, built relationships with the local church there in Peru? Man, this is the the coolest part of it is that uh, there's a uh, missionary in Peru, uh, Tom Huff, and uh, he is actually – his parents were missionaries down there originally. So I think – I believe his parents moved down there in 1950. Uh, and became missionaries in Pucallpa, Peru, in the jungle regions. Lived, moved, literally lived in a, in a jungle village. Uh, Tom was born out there and um, born and raised in the jungle most of his life. He came to the States later for uh, a little stint when civil war broke out, then returned in his mid-20s with his wife to Pucallpa to continue the work of his parents. And so Tom is now, uh, probably not allowed saying how old Tom is, uh, <laughs> but he's a... Uh, He's older than me um, and has been spending his whole life uh, continuing the legacy of his parents. So he is, uh, yes, he's American uh, by passport, but he's by birth, he's Peruvian. He's networked with uh, the work that his parents has done and then the work that he's done with the local church there um, is so deep and so strong that that was our end into the country in a sense. My goodness. So he introduced us into the church leaders and the different church councils, the different church groups. And uh, through that, we've built relationships with those folks. And now we have uh, 12 or 13 local churches in Pacalpa alone that we work with directly. Um, Tom is still in the mix of it. We work with him, and but he's given us that introduction. So anytime we go in, we go in under the uh, invite of the local church. So you're really standing on some solid shoulders. It's already established quite nicely there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, give us a little history about the city of Pucallpa. Yeah. Where is it located geographically? And tell me something about what the people do there. So we're in South America. On the west coast of South America, you have Peru, kind of, uh, I guess, a uh, central part of South America on the west coast, kind of a long country that stretches along the coastline. Um, and uh, Lima is the capital. Lima sits right on the coast in uh, in the desert. It's the driest desert in the world. And... Uh, from there, we do a, a quick little hour and 15-minute flight over the Andes Mountains. And so as you cross over the Andes Mountains, you get into the uh, what we call the low jungle uh, side of the Amazon jungle. Uh, so it's an hour and 15-minute flight inland from there. And uh, actually from Pacalpa, we can stand on the banks of the Ucali River and look across the, the jungle, and you can see the mountains in Brazil. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we are. It's got to be beautiful. It's incredible. Um, it's a yeah. It's a very very incredible city. It reminds me a lot of Memphis. It's a port city, so it sits on a, a main river. It's the main tributary into the Amazon River. The Ucali River flows north. Pucallpa sits right on the bank of that river. It's a major port city. So in 1980, when Dr. Shea here from Memphis started going down there, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a bit, there was about 20,000 people living in Pucallpa. 
Uh, today we see 750,000 people. Oh, my. Uh, still an open sewer city. In a lot of ways, uh, it feels very third world when you're there. It's open sewer. There's a lot of dirt roads. The infrastructure uh, cannot keep up with the growth. And then you'll come around a corner and saw a, see a brand-new mall with a KFC and a Pizza Hut in it. So it is a land of contradictions, that's for sure. <laughs> well, we talk about the local church. You talked about the relationship you have with Tom, the missionary yeah. that's there. Uh, also, you build relationships with local individuals and groups that are led by the people in the community. Can you tell us some of those people, who you've met, some of the ones that, you know, God's already at work when you go yeah, to a place. absolutely. You know, so tell me about some of the people you've met that are already doing extraordinary things there, and mm-hmm. you're able to stand alongside and help assist. Yeah, that's the cool thing is is we, we go in and we come alongside these folks rather than coming in and trying to show them how to do it. Um, it it's coming alongside brothers and sisters in Christ and, and walking alongside with whatever the journey is that God has them on. And, and can we stop here a second, Pete? Yeah. Because I think Western mindset, us here in the States, have yeah. this— that we have it all together. We understand everything on how to do. So just you know, do it our way. You know, that's not what people need to hear. No, definitely. No, if everybody, you know, it's the same as, as if everybody. If everybody did it my way, the yeah. world would be a better place. Yeah. That's kind of our mindset a lot of times. Um, but we have to respect the culture. We have to respect their way of life, their way of thinking, their way of doing. And instead of uh, trying to force our ways on them and our thinking on them, no matter how right we think we are and how we do things. Um, Coming alongside them on their journey uh, is a way more powerful thing. Relationships, the big thing. Um, it's not about alleviating poverty. It's not about providing clean water. Those things are all really important, and, and they happen along the way. The foundation of it all has to be relationship, yeah. and relationship comes is, is a two way street and comes with respect and honor. And so, when we come alongside somebody there, um, I have to respect them and see them as an equal, not as somebody that needs a handout. Um, I'm not there to to rescue. I'm not there to lift them up out of the miry clay, um, I'm there to, to sit next to them, to get to know who they are, yes. what makes them tick, and, um, and encourage them and walk alongside them, um, not, not there as the Savior. That's not my role. What is the typical type of work in the community mm-hmm. there? Uh, I mean, it's everything. It, it, there's a, definitely a lot of industry there. Uh, there's, uh, lumber is a big thing, both legal and illegal. There's a lot of lumber... Um, that comes through there. Being a port city, everything comes through there. There's one main road going from the capital in Lima to to Pucallpa. So um, there's some industry there. Um, one of the big um, employers there is a, is a large beer manufacturer, for instance, uh, and that kind of thing. But then when you get into the rural areas, it's all agriculture. And so they grow a lot of crops, bananas, papayas, mangoes, uh, pineapple. We see all that coming through. So when you're sitting at the port, you see these um, boats coming in. Um, boats is putting it nicely. Uh, the, these, uh, I mean, it's, it's like um, those, of a canoe. I think but I've seen some of the, picture, the I've seen some of the pictures yeah. on your website. Yeah, and they're just laden with you know plantains or bananas. Uh, and these are villagers that grow these crops in their villages, and then they bring them into the city there, and then it gets picked up there by either wholesalers or you know individuals can go to the market and you can buy what you need for the day. Right. Uh, but wholesalers will go down to this market as well and buy in bulk. They'll buy an entire boatload full of bananas, ship that over to Lima, and then uh, it gets used in-country uh, throughout South America, but it also gets shipped worldwide from there. Nice. Now, are you involved with resourcing new water wells, or is purifying the water from existing wells your main mm-hmm. focus? Yeah, there's kind of two focuses that we have with the water. One is uh, working with existing water sources where we put in a clean water system. It's a non-chemical um, filtration system that... Uh, 
basically worked with an existing water source, whether that be uh, contaminated city water or a well that's contaminated or, you know, a pond or a river close by. Uh, We can draw from that and uh, run it through the system. It's a series of filters, and then at the end it runs through either ozone, uh, ozonator or a a UV uh, for kind of a safeguard. And then... um, and that's how we produce clean water. It's a very simple system. It uh, takes about four days to install. It's chemical-free. It's PVC pipes and filters, basically, at the and, end of and the day. And the cost of that unit, as you put all that equipment together to purify the water, yeah. what does one station cost? The The system itself costs about four and a half to $5,000. Um, and then uh, there's the cost of getting the team over there. It takes a team of uh, three to four folks to go over there. Because what we do with the team when we do one of these systems, we don't just go and install a system and then – that's it kind of thing. We walk alongside them. So there's a, it's kind of three parts to the system. One is the, the education side of things. Um, we've got to educate the folks on uh, health and hygiene. Why do they need so, clean water? How so do you do use you, the clean water? Is that water? something you do pre, before the team, before you even start installing the, the equipment? No, we do it at the same time. Same yeah. time. It all happens so, together. Okay. Yeah, the pre-work would be uh, site evaluations and evaluating the, the water quality, making sure that the system we have is going to fix the problem, making sure the water, how contaminated is the water, is there metals in the water, minerals, those kind of things. So there's kind of pre-work with that, but also sustainability study. Um, we don't want to put in a system somewhere and not be sustainable. Um, we want it to be sustainable for at least one generation, and we want to be hands-off on it. We, we're going to come alongside them with it, and we're going to have a partnership with them for at least two years, two to three years on um, partnering with them. But eventually, they need to be self-sustaining. They need to be able to run the system, and if something breaks, have the finances, the resources to fix it. They need to be able to run it and own it themselves. So we do a, a site evaluation ahead of time to make sure that the infrastructure is there for it and that the need is there and that the, the, the system is going to solve the problem. And then when a team goes down there, there's a leadership component that worked with the committee there to set up as a business so they can sell the water to the community at a reduced rate um, and therefore have an income, create a job for somebody, be able to have the finances when they need to replace a filter. They've got the finances to do it themselves. Wow. Um, we purchase the entire system in country as well. We don't take anything from the states. We can buy the entire system in country in Peru. Oh, my. So we support the local economy that way, and it means that everything is accessible if they need to replace a part. And then we teach through the installation. We teach them how, you know, the, the installer on that side, you'll have an operator that's going to operate the system. Well, they install the system together with our team the entire four or five days so that they've touched every piece of that system. If something leaks, something goes wrong, they know how to fix it. We've trained them. They've been a part of it. And then the education part, educating the educators, teaching them how to teach the community on health and hygiene, why do you use clean water and how to use clean water. Yeah. Pete, another aspect, of course, along with the safe drinking water that mm-hmm. you provide through Liquid Legacy is the medical needs there. Yeah. What are the conditions medically there? What are some of the needs that you're having to face? In, yeah. You do bring medical teams down, too. Correct. We take uh, kind of the three things we do is uh, clean water projects, medical missions, and community development. So our, our clean water is, is literally it's health and hygiene and, and providing clean water in communities, uh, safe drinking water that's accessible for them. Medical, we take medical teams down there, short-term medical trips to come alongside the uh, the medical folks in Peru. They've got hospitals and those kind of things, but uh, the folks in the rural areas don't really necessarily have access to that on a regular basis. And as much as uh, they've got a um, universal health care system, so the hospital is free, is free, but all your supplies you have to provide yourself. So if uh, you cut yourself open and you need stitches and you go to the emergency room, they're going to look at it and go, okay, we're going to need you to bring stitches and bandages and gauze and all these things. You're and, serious. And then your wife will have to run out and go get the stitches and everything else, the pharmacy, bring that back, and then they'll stitch you up. 
that's fine for folks that have an income and those kind of things, and, and that's the way the system works there. But from, for the rural folks, they don't, they don't have that access. And uh, they're, uh, you know, when they live out in the jungle, uh, in the rural areas, they're kind of seen as second-class citizens. Um, up until the 80s, they weren't considered human even. They, were, uh, they just didn't have any rights protecting them. And so luckily those are in place now, but they're still seen as second-class citizens when they live out as Indians in the jungle. And so medical care for them is very scarce um, and very costly. So we take medical teams in. We hold medical clinics. Uh, this summer we're taking a team of uh, 28 medical professionals in there. We'll do four days of clinics and see probably about fourteen to 1,600 patients in four days with really? that team. And the professionals, what type of areas of expertise are you, will you be bringing with you? Uh, let's see. On the first team, is, is uh, we've got a handful of doctors, but then we've got uh, nurses and uh, ER nurses. And, I mean, it's everything, uh, physical therapists. All the way through. So anybody in the medical field we can use down there. Dentists is a huge need. Okay. Um, doing a lot of extractions down there. There's not much else that, that, that we can do down there, but we'll do a lot of extractions. So anybody in the medical professional. And then all the way up to where we work with the local hospital and uh, the doctor's association there. So we've got a second team going in the summer that will be doing pediatric surgeries. We've got two surgeons from Le Bonner that's going and they'll actually be in the hospitals performing medical surgeries for kids that need it down there. Well, I saw, Piet, you've got three trips that are planned for this year, June 14th through the 23rd. The trip mm-hmm. is full. June 22nd through the 30th, a medical mission, the trip is full. Correct. And then there's another trip coming up October 26th through November 3rd. Are there still openings for this trip? There's definitely still openings for that trip. Um, so that, that'll be a, a, a what we call a general trip. So we'll do some community development with that trip as well as uh, a water project. And so the way we do those is uh, f- folks can sign up and, uh, and apply to go on the trip. And then once we know who's going on the trip, we look at their, their talents, their gifts, their passions, um, and we send that off to our uh, local churches on the ground there and go, here's our team. This is their skill sets. This is their passion. This is what, they, right. what they're good at. They match it up with the need on that side, and they dictate to us what it is that we're going to do. We don't decide ahead of time. This is what we want to do. We let them know what, it, what they need. Yeah. Piet, out of everything you've been going through for the last mm-hmm. few years with this work, what have you gained personally? Oh, it's been incredible. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, I wake up every morning going, I can't believe I get to do this. <laughs> um, the relationships has been a big thing. You know, when I go to Peru now, it's visiting family. Um, that's, it's my family down there. It's my friends down there. For example, in June, pretty much mm-hmm. the whole month of June, you've got trips. People will be there. Will you spend the whole, pretty much the whole month of June there? Yeah. I'll be there, uh, for a little over three weeks okay. total. So we'll have the teams rotating through and, and coming in. Um, and I'll, I'll spend, yeah, just over three weeks there. And a lot of that is, you know, it's the teams coming in and the work we'll do with that. Um, but it's also, uh, building additional relationships and expanding the network there. Next year, we're adding Paraguay through the same network of churches and, and folks there. We'll slowly spread across South America. So next year, we're adding two trips to Paraguay. So you can look out for those dates coming out here in the next few weeks. It's just working with that existing network of folks. I was going to ask you that very question. Mm-hmm. Were you planning on branching Absolutely. out in other areas of Peru, too, maybe? Yeah, we, we, um, I'd say the vision that we have is for South America. Uh, a lot of that is going into some of the areas that, uh, that nobody else is necessarily doing work in. So when we look at, at Peru, for instance, there's a lot of work going on in, in Lima. There's a lot of work from the states happening in Lima with the churches in Lima. There's uh, the Cusco area and uh, Iquitos, that's a, a city up in the jungle. Those are areas where we see a lot of churches going in and doing work. Um, and so we're we purposefully in Pacapa where there's not a lot of work happening from, from the states. And so the same with Paraguay. We're going into areas where um, 
the American church isn't necessarily currently very active in. And uh, we'll kind of expand with that, but it's all relationally based. It's uh, right. wherever God opens the doors with relationships for us. Piet, there's so much logistics, planning, and, you know, labor mm-hmm. intensity that is involved with this, <laughs> you know, work. Uh, how can we pray for you? What are some ways that our listeners can pray for the work of the Liquid Legacy and you personally? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, I'd say pray for, for God to bring to continue to bring the right people along uh, to partner with us, both financially but also in, in, in terms of their resources and their talents. Um, we're, we're always in need of folks to come alongside and, and just shoulder with us on the work. Uh, it is a lot of work both here in the stateside organizing these things, um, but also when we're, once we're there. Uh, I'd say pray for the people there. Pray for the, the work that's going on in Pacalpa, the churches there. Um, I think so often uh, we, um, we get caught up in life here and we forget to pray for the church in other countries. And so if you want to pray for Peru, pray for the churches in Pacalpa. Um, that God would continue to do the work that he's doing there. We, we're seeing incredible things happen there. The church is growing. Um, we have a Bible institute that we work with, for instance, that we uh, uh, see folks coming out of the jungle, different tribes coming in, studying the Word, and then going back to establish churches in their villages. Um, right now there's laws in place that we as Westerners cannot reach the unreached in the jungle anymore. So there's still unreached tribes in the jungle, in the Amazon jungle, and we are not allowed legally to make contact with them anymore. In the, in the olden days, Tom's days, they would go out for months at a time and make first contact with right, these tribes. Right. Um, we, you know, we think of the Elliot stories and those kind of things. That's not legal anymore. There's a lot of laws protecting those folks. But what we can do is we can train up uh, indigenous Peruvians that are living in the jungle, train them up. They establish churches, they establish missions, and they can reach their own folks that way. Wow, this is so exciting. You're going to have to come back. Yeah. And we're going to plan on you coming back after some of these summer trips, maybe Absolutely. after the October trip. If you can bring one or two or more of yeah. those who've traveled with you to get their impressions and experiences to share those with our listeners. Absolutely. Uh, what about uh, social media avenues? How can we yeah. connect with you? Uh, our website, theliquidlegacy.org, has a lot of information on it. And we're uh, you know slowly working on keeping that up to date and, and updating it with new trip dates and those kind of things. So that's definitely a place to check it out. And then we're pretty active on Facebook and Instagram. So the Liquid Legacy Project uh, on both of those. And uh, you'll find us on there. And we try to post on there some informative things, that just statistics about what's going on in the world as, as far as water and those kind of things, but also uh, sharing kind of the journey of, of what we're doing and the folks going on it. We've got about 70 folks over the course of the summer that will be coming to Peru with us. So we want to share those stories with the world. It's a great work, Piet. God bless you, my dear brother. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom, for the people in Peru, helping bring not only clean drinking water and medical needs, but the, the heart of the gospel, full package of the gospel, sharing yeah. Jesus' love. Thank you so much. Absolutely. It's an honor. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. <music> 